Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad you're all here. We're working our way through Jack Cornfield's book, After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. And, well, today we're down to the laundry. I can't, you know, gloss that over. And, and by that, I mean, you know, I think we've all had moments of enlightenment, haven't we? Whether it's looking at amazing sunset and just feeling the oneness and the, the beauty, uh, whether it's uh, maybe a special moment of enlightenment when we just felt that the entire universe was kind of on our side and there to support us. I think we've all had moments of Satori. The trouble is, uh, you know, wait five minutes and it's the laundry. So I want to talk today about how we can both sustain those moments of enlightenment and how we can make sure that we're on a pathway, if you will, that will ensure more of those moments come our way. Uh, and, and I think it's completely doable, maybe not one of those things that happens overnight, but what I know about the science of mind is that when we set our sights on something and pay even a modicum of attention to putting one foot in front of another, eventually whatever it is that's in our hearts and in our minds will be ours. So I want to talk about that today. I think the best place to start, though, is with a, a joke. Um, so a student went to his meditation teacher and said, my meditation was horrible today. I felt so distracted. My legs ached. I was uh, uh, just aches and pains. And honestly, about halfway through, I fell asleep. It was terrible. I'm terrible at this. It will pass, the teacher said matter-of-factly. Well, a week or two later, the student came back. My meditation today was such a blessing. I really felt that idea of being at one with the divine. It felt as though all of creation and I were part of the same thing. It was total bliss. I just want to thank you for this experience. The teacher looked at him and said, This too will pass. <laughs> Damn, someone noticed. <laughs> All right. So the Buddha has a few things, as you can imagine, to say about the idea of enlightenment. First of all, like so many others, he made it clear that enlightenment was a journey, not a final destination. We don't just wake up one day on a mountaintop in full lotus position and suddenly from that point onward all life is bliss. So, so if that's your idea of enlightenment, first of all, even the Buddha said that was hogwash. It's not the way it works. We're on a continual path. You might think of it almost as a spiritual evolution that leads us towards enlightened thinking. And with our enlightened thinking, this path that we're moving on, will come those moments of insight. And the idea is, as our, as our soul matures, as our ability to have enlightened thoughts come, so the frequency with which we'll have those enlightened and, uh, and beautiful bliss-like experiences. 
So today I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to be on the path, what it's like maybe now and then to not be on the path, uh, and some of the things that we can do to start making the laundry part of our lives part of the setup for the joy and the enlightenment. See, I think part of the problem is that many of us think there is the spiritual part of my life and then there's everything else, right? Do you know what I mean? I mean, we've all had one of those moments when the world just seemed like it was on our side and, and, and it was love and there was mercy and joy and, and it was like one of those moments that just you couldn't set it up. It was so perfect. And then... And then the rest of life intrudes. And, and I think it invites us to think there's the spiritual side and then there's the, the more negative, harsh, worldly side. And when we think of our life as two separate parts, I have to warn you, that will keep enlightenment at bay. That's the very recipe for dividing your life up in a way that when you're out in the world, you won't have those moments of, uh, of Satori. You won't have those experiences of bliss and joy. If you're thinking that those moments only happen when you're on the hiking trail or the mountaintop or, or here at church on Sunday or some special time when the, when the spiritual stuff happens, <laughs> by definition you're saying, okay, and then the rest <laughs> of the time it's just going to be a holy mess. <laughs> so, so the idea is no. The idea is we we integrate as best we can. We begin looking for the spiritual nature of everything. The sweet moments, the good moments, the Sunday experience, as well as the Monday morning in the office experience. We begin to tease out the, the goodness and the spiritual nature of every moment. Because God's there. God is everywhere all of the time. It is really how we approach things that defines whether or not we're going to experience that unity and oneness. All right. The Buddha gave some very interesting information that I want to share with you about how we can begin that as a, an actual purposeful process. Because he said that, that first, of course, when we first have some of those moments of satori, those moments of oneness, those moments of enlightenment, that is our soul waking up. That is our spiritual nature becoming awakened. And then it's up to us to awaken our mind, our emotions, our body, and our perception of the world. And so really briefly, I want to talk about his suggestions for doing all three of these. First, the awakened mind doesn't require much more than awareness. Well, I say not much more, but of course, if you think about it, how aware are we of our thinking? See, see, see there's the trouble. A lot of the time, we're just on automatic. And when we're on the spiritual path, if we want to really move towards that idea of enlightened thinking, we need to know what we are thinking. And so the, the good news is we don't have to be perfect. And in fact, it's better if we're gentle and kind to ourselves when negative thoughts, when, when terrible thoughts come up, we don't want to say, Larry, you're so stupid. Why are you back here again thinking about this kind of thing, right? We, we want to be gentle and kind with ourselves, but we also want to notice what I'm thinking right now is not very useful. 
Let me give you an example. Um, I had the great honor uh, uh, Saturday night, uh, or Friday night, excuse me, of being a keynote speaker down in Eugene for a, a spiritual conference down there. Uh, great honor. And, uh, and I set it up to do that on Friday so that I could drive back to Portland on Saturday and be all wonderful and calm and collected for you all today. And what I hadn't uh, realized was rush hour on the freeway is there seven days a week now. And so I'm coming back from Eugene yesterday, sailing along, doing great, and you know, still a little bit high from the conference. It was a lovely conference. And I got about as far as the exit to Canby, and suddenly it was two miles an hour for the rest of the journey. And I got to tell you, I went from the ecstasy to the laundry really fast. <laughs> and your sweet, kind minister is thinking, shall we say, not very charitable thoughts about the drivers and whoever designed the freeway system here. And, and actually even some unkind thoughts about my poor Daniel who had talked me into taking the manual shift car instead of the automatic car. Because it was like... And um, after I'm on the freeway, stuck in that traffic for about 20 minutes, I got to tell you, I was not a picture of mental health. <laughs> Here's where I need to tell you about the poison tree. So the Buddha talks about the idea of the poisoned tree. The unenlightened person, someone who's not enlightened at all, their reaction is, we cut the tree down. Doesn't serve anyone. It's poisonous. It's going to cause harm. Someone's going to die. We cut it down. That would be me probably flipping off the other drivers, right? <laughs> that would probably be me using the horn to go along with my clutch leg and just like, you know, effing you out of my way. So the unenlightened person, our reaction is when something is up, it's like, away with you. We cut the poison tree down. Okay. The Buddha said most of us, though, learn to move past that. Most of us will put a fence around the poison tree. Most of us recognize the tree has a right to leave, live. It's not the tree's fault that its sap is poisonous to certain species on the planet, right? In fact, one might argue it's a protection of the tree so that animals don't eat it. The tree is just defending itself. And so the person who has made a few steps along the spiritual path will put a fence up. We'll keep everybody safe. The tree can be on its own, being poisonous. <laughs> we can be on our own, eating the things that aren't poisonous. Life goes on. The Buddha, however, says that's really not the end of our journey. The story of the poison tree is eventually we learn to take down the fence and make medicine out of the poison. The end of the story is that it can be the very things that annoy us, freak us out, make us miserable, with which we can get the greatest growth. And so if we are willing 
to be with the uncomfortability, if we are willing to be with that which seems poisonous, perhaps we can learn more about ourselves. Perhaps we can be in a better uh, position to help other people in the world. Perhaps we can move forward instead of stepping back. And you know the other way that I look at this whole idea of enlightenment thing, uh, when things are going wrong, it's as though you're right just standing like an inch away from freedom. It's like something is up to be healed and it's right in your face. It's very unpleasant. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job that's gone wrong, whether it's uh, some rampant institution, you know, raining terror down on people, whatever it is, when you are at your most uncomfortable, it means you're right up Again, you know, you've, you've gone through the, the, the fencing around the poison tree and you are like right up next to us. And what most of us want to do is what? We want to run. We want to back up. We want to get the heck away from there. Uh, we want to, uh, has anyone just had a mental health day from work and just stayed home and, and watched crazy television rather than just deal with it? Right? And some of us have like, oh, I'm not feeling so well today. I'm going to stay home. I need a mental health day. Well, that is us backing away. Most often, that is, we have been up the anxiety or whatever's going on. And rather than take another, even a quarter of an inch forward to see if the poison can be turned into medicine, we back away. I'm going to deny that this is happening. This isn't supposed to be part of my life. I'm better than this. We do what's necessary in the moment so that we feel safe, so that we're not feeling threatened anymore. But you know, most of these things really aren't threatening in that sense of bodily harm. It's only threatening to our status quo. It's only threatening to what we're comfortable with most often. And so if we want to get through the hard times, we have to get through the hard times. We have to be willing to go right up to the poison tree and say, I'm going to turn this into medicine. I'm going to use this anger. I'm going to use this frustration. I'm going to use this uncomfortability to learn something about myself and to move through this moment so that I cannot be terrorized in this way anymore. So let's apply this back to the freeway. And I'm afraid I don't come out as well as some of you might think I did. So I'm sitting in traffic for uh, probably about 20 minutes. Maybe I've gone five miles in 20 minutes. And I finally decide this is just more than I can deal with right now. So I pull off the freeway to a rest stop. I get a cup of coffee, I walk around. Eventually, I feel a whole lot better and I move on. But, do you see, this is just the fence. Now, I'm glad I didn't flip anyone off. I, I didn't use the horn. I mean, I've made some progress, right? But I'm telling you, the path of enlightenment isn't something you just turn on in a day. There will be things that just annoy the holy heck out of you, and it's okay. Again, we need to be gentle with ourselves. This is a progress. This isn't something we're perfect at just because we want to be perfect at it, 
right? If we wanted, if we always got what we wanted, the world would be kind of strange and, and weird, I know. But the wanting it is important, and we know we're on a journey towards it, and that is good enough. As long as we're on the journey toward it, feel good about yourself. The fact that I didn't, you know, start yelling at people or using the horn or flipping them off, good boy, Larry. This is a good thing. I put a fence Right? I put a fence, if you will, around the poison tree I got off the freeway. More importantly, I recognize that that's what I'm doing. So that is what the Buddha says is the key enlightenment here around our thinking, and that is we're aware when we're doing things. And so in an awakened mind, we'll notice wow, I'm really having some negative thoughts about these drivers and about the people who designed this freeway system and, and about all the people who decided on Saturday afternoon they'd go places when it should just be for me. And, uh, and even as I'm doing that, I'm going, ah, right, right. Even as I'm doing it, I'm realizing this isn't helpful. And that is enough. That's enough. You don't need to say I'm bad for having those thoughts. You don't need to think, well, here I am. I've been on the freeway driving now for 35 years. Why am I still, right? I don't, we don't need to go there. It is completely enough just to say, I recognize that these thoughts are not being useful, and I'm going to move on. How about awakened emotions? Now, see, here's another one. Most of us don't think we have any control over our emotions at all. We think someone did something, and that's what made me angry, or that's what made me sad. And some of you are looking at me like, well, Larry, that is the way it works, but I'm here to tell you our emotions come and go just like our thoughts do, and we have way more control over them than we think they do. And I'm not even suggesting we should deny them at all. In fact, our emotions are really useful. If you're feeling uncomfortable, it's probably because something needs to change. It's as simple as that. If you're having negative thoughts, it probably means something needs to change. It's a signpost. Most often, of course, it's our own thinking, our, our, our own choices, our own behaviors that need to change. But, but still, when that feeling of anxiety or trouble comes up, let's pay attention. Let's not stuff it. But I also want to suggest, too, here we need to be aware of it. Like yesterday on the freeway, I said to myself, Whoo, can you feel that? I'm getting that tightness in my chest. I'm gripping the steering wheel like, like I don't know what. It's like, ooh. <laughs> you know, the knuckles are white. What's this about? And so when our emotions are enlightened, we're aware of them. When our emotions are enlightened, we pay attention. And that was my clue. It was when I became not so much aware of the thoughts, but aware of the emotions and how I was gripping that steering wheel. I'm like, this really is unhealthy for me. Let's get off the freeway. So that would be, again, a perfect solution here? No, but I'm aware of what's going on in my head, and I'm aware of the emotions that have arisen in my body, and I can make an informed decision. Now, I might have chosen just to stay on the freeway and be mad, and that would be okay too, actually, as long as I'm aware that I'm doing that, 
And it is my actual choice. So what about awakened body? The other thing that the Buddha said is we need to actually be awakened to our own bodies. Now here is a big one for Americans. Most Americans have body shame issues. Most of us, somewhere around 80% of us, do not like the way we look, do not approve of the way our bodies function, have trouble with aches and pains, and we're disappointed with how the aging process is going. Around 80, this is a huge percentage, about 80% of Americans have body issues. Think about this for a minute. The idea of oneness means that we regard the entire universe as part of God. But not this. Do you see how you're actually setting up to not experience unity in the world? If we cannot look in the mirror and say, that is God too, warts and all, aches and pains and all, uh, hair going gray and all, if we can't look in the mirror and say, I'm at a lovely weight for who I am right now, we are saying that the universe is not appropriate for us. We are preventing our progress along the path towards more satori moments to more enlightenment. Now, I'm not suggesting you might not want to make changes. This is our body temple. I mean, part of our job is to maintain it just as we would maintain our home or our automobiles or other things. If you abuse something, it will let you down eventually, of course. But what I am saying is, psychologically, mentally, we have to treat our body as though it is part of the body of God itself. And if we don't, we're just saying, hey, there's everything that's good, and then there's this poor thing. is isn't going to work. It just isn't going to work. I know this is difficult. I know. I know. It's, it's worthy of laughing, but I got to tell you, it's worthy of crying, too. Because if we can't be at home in our own bodies, we're not going to be at home in the universe at large. I'm just telling you that one. If you are not at home in your own body, you are not going to be happy in the universe at large. It's impossible. Go to Marcy's workshop. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ordering you as though I had that power. All right. Last but not least, awakened life. So when we have begun that path of awakening, when we have had our few moments of Satori, of course what it brings up is all of the events and actions and people and places and things in our life that don't look like that. It's the invitation to find fault with the entire universe. If only she fit into my idea of peace and love, if only he would obey the commandments of, of joy. <laughs> if only the social security system would really support me. If only my grandchildren loved me more and paid more attention to me. If only the, the city was more, a more favorable place for immigrants. If, if, I mean, I could go on for till the end of tomorrow and we wouldn't even touch the list of things that on the surface look unfair, wrong, 
terrible, and so on. And all I can tell you is, you're right up against the poison tree. You are right, literally sitting on the lowest branch, if you will, of the poison tree. And you have options. You can cut it down. I hear of people that just move away, that literally pick themselves up and go live on a mountaintop somewhere. That literally just, okay, I'm, or, or maybe someone who takes their own life. I mean, I mean, the most extreme case would be someone who takes their own life. I'm going to cut the poison tree down. I'm not going to participate in this human experience anymore. I'm going to go onto a mountaintop. I'm going to cut the tree down. Second idea, of course, would be the one we mostly take is we fence it off. So I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to get a different job. Uh, I'll, I'll quit this job. I'll quit this relationship. I will um, not go to those meetings anymore because they don't help me. I will, I will fence them off. I will back down and back out. The poison tree can just be poison, but I'm not going to involve myself in it. Or we can take the third tact. And what I would like to think is next time I'm stuck in traffic in the car, I will see that as a chance to make medicine out of the poison tree. And I will maybe do a prayer. I will put on some beautiful music on the CD player. I will allow myself to be in the car and recognize that even stuck in traffic, even going two miles an hour and in the craziness of the world, there can be happiness there too, that I can use that as a teaching moment. Let's go back to self-care for a moment. It sounds like I'm challenging you a bit, and maybe I am. Maybe I am challenging all of us to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and not just fence off the things around us that are uncomfortable. And, uh, and okay, so be it, I might be challenging us, but I'm also suggesting that this is how we become great in our own lives. This is how we become strong in our own lives. And this is how we can actually become gentle with ourselves in our own lives. There is nothing here that is gonna kill anyone. There's nothing here that is gonna do any permanent damage. I'm simply suggesting that when we're right up against the pain and suffering that we see in the world. Maybe for a few times we ought to try moving through it instead of stepping back from it. And that can look as easy as just being with the emotions, recognizing that you're really sad, recognizing that you're feeling powerless, and not trying to make it go away, but just allow it to sit with it for a moment, knowing that it too will pass. Allowing it, if you can, to be a teaching tool. I'm going to learn from my experience on the freeway today. I'm going to learn from the angry boss that for no good reason chewed me out in front of coworkers. I'm going to learn from the fact um, that maybe I, I'm not getting enough money in for my pension check uh, to, to really meet my needs right now. Uh, I can rail against it. I can pull myself away from it. But maybe, maybe... I can be with it and learn something. Now you'll notice 
that I did the fence job yesterday. I did not sail my way through this thing in the most enlightened manner. And bless me for doing what I could. Right? Above all, bless yourselves from taking whatever steps along you can. Bless you for even noticing, for even noticing you're up against the poison tree. Because that is the key to success. When you actually recognize I'm having thoughts that are not the kind of thoughts I want to have. I'm having a reaction in my body in terms of my emotion that is not really useful right now. I'm having these urges to do things that would really bring difficulty to my life later. Bless you. If all you do is notice them, you are being extraordinarily successful. If you only get as far as fencing yourself off so that you're safe, bless you, that's like half the distance. And this is not a race that has an end point. So making half the distance is huge. So can you guess what your homework is going to be this week? <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. All right. So pick an area in your life yeah, take the freeway home. All right. <laughs> Good thought, Doreen. So my suggestion for this week is take an area in your life where you're feeling some discomfort. That's the poison tree in your life. It might be a relationship that's difficult. It might be a job that's untenable. It might be something going on in your neighborhood or in your finances. Take an area of your life where you're feeling discomfort. First of all, be aware of your thoughts and your emotions. That's key. If that was all you were able to do, success. You have the awareness of what's going on in your thoughts and emotions. Now, if you're willing, think about the poison tree again. Could you fence it off? Rather than just being pissed off and acting out of anger or strangeness, could you proactively fence off the poison tree? What could you do to distance yourself from it without just chopping it down, without making a mess of it? And then third, could you in fact use it as a learning experience? Could you turn the poison into medicine by seeing how you can move this through this situation in a way that is beneficial? So that's your homework for this week. I'm going to close with a quick quote um, from... After the ecstasy, the laundry. When we first enter the spiritual path, we often speak of overcoming obstacles, of striving, of defilements, and the ardor of seeking God. But this language, though it may once have served us, can be excessively one-sided. It can be setting one thing against another, worldliness against freedom self-will against God's grace, sin against redemption. It is a language built upon exclusion. With the awakening of wisdom, the heart gradually expands to hold the full paradox of life. In the mature heart and mind, there arises a deeper perfection that is not opposed to things of the world, even when they seem to be going wrong. Our spiritual life becomes more about mercy and loving kindness to ourselves and others than about the struggles or battles with ego and sin and the happenings of the world. Our heroics become a fearless love for the whole of creation, leaving nothing whatsoever 
out. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. There is but this one thing, and it's called God. And I know that means me, warts and all. I know it means me, knowing that my life has its ups and downs. Like the meditation teacher in the joke, I know that this too shall pass, all of it. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has a life full of, of great glory and upsets. That each person here has that capability of actually walking up to and through the issues that bother them. And whether it is a simple awareness, whether it's fencing it off, or whether it's using it as a tonic, I know that the negative experiences of life are part of life. And so therefore, I embrace them. I also know without question that God is always here to guide and direct me, that my life as part of the one life has that grace, that mercy always. And for this, I give great thanks. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.